What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and I'd like to welcome everybody to the Facts Project. Today, two very special guests, Jordan Alseka and Randy Stone from Altruist Comics. We're here to talk about Bullet. All right. Thank you for being here, both of you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So right now, and, and no, um, we're doing this actually on the the actual launch day of Bullet. So I appreciate both of you being here and taking your time from actually like launching the comic and and now that it's actually in fruition and now getting some money funded to you so that this book can come into everybody's houses. Thank you for being here. Um, so if, if one of you could, if you could introduce yourselves and basically um, let us know exactly what it is that basically makes Bullet so unique to the audience. I'll go with I'll go with Jordan first. I'll jump in. Oh, oh okay. Well, yeah. uh, Randy, go ahead. All right, just uh, yeah, filling up uh, silence. I can't stand it, so I just have to talk. Um, no, Bullet's just a great uh, throwback to classic superhero type storytelling. Uh, we always had a kind of a modern approach to these classic tales that I grew up on. Jordan as well. Uh, really bring in something that's just a fun adventure uh, and it's colorful it's it's happy it's not the grim and gritty stuff that we've seen for decades now um, we can really just have fun with it it's enjoyable for people our age or my own kids uh, it's great definitely jordan yeah uh and to me yeah like, like randy said that he was uh, kind enough to invite me in he'd started developing the character many years ago um, and then when it was time to, when he wanted to finally fund it, he brought me in to help co-write the, the one shot and then uh, kept me on to do the ongoing series. And it's, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. It's very, it has a modern feel, you know, we're not writing with, with thought balloons and uh, overly descriptive dialogue, but we hope that it captures that Silver Age sense of fun and whimsy and one shot adventures while still having an ongoing developing plot uh, to follow. Definitely. Randy, who is Dale D'Souza? Uh, he, well, started off in the 60s as just a college student that um, out of nowhere developed these speed powers. Um, we kind of left a little bit unknown as to why he's even fast. Uh, it came out of nowhere, and he just, he's a great guy, and he did the right thing by using his powers to help people. Mm, okay. Now, uh, Jordan, why would you say in this day and age would it be good to develop a character as as a speedster for once um is, is you've seen characters like flash and quicksilver that have basically been pushed into the mainstream and nobody has never touched the element of a speed speedster since why a speedster now i think it's for for me there is there's a fun fancy free it's that sense of action you can do a lot of things with the speedster that other heroes can't they're not as limited um in terms of their their power set you can you can do a lot of cool creative things and that that's really what it comes down to as a writer speedsters are tricky right because a lot of times if you watch things like the flash tv show or um other things that have had speed characters it's always the question of you know they're so fast how is it that they don't just win they just don't stop the villain so mm -hmm. i find it really fun to come up with what are the challenges they're going to face that will require a bit more thought that aren't instant win buttons um, we have a little bit of that in this issue where it's like, okay, why doesn't she catch the villain? Um, well, because we, we find a way to make sure that it's like, it's not just, oh, sh he got away, even though she should theoretically be able to zip around the city in no time flat. So 
it's just a fun creative challenge more than anything just like finding ways to keep inventing in that innovating in the space of the speedster mm, okay so uh so randy when we were uh, to retract and go back to issue one because right now this kickstarter is in issue two and three the last time that we saw this comic, it was introduced in the eyes of Dale D'Souza, and he was visited by an old friend of his, Michael, who had returned from the future. And at this point in time, Dale is a very, very old man who used to be Bullet, or better yet, in his better sense of mind, he was Bullet. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting we're playing with so many different time periods here because the original one shot was set in the 60s. And then issue one of the continuing series was 2006. And we found uh, Michael from our near future going back to 2006, sending Dale even further back and uh, giving him kind of a reboot. Um, he de-aged in that issue and he had a little adventure back in the 60s again as he uh, explored things with the original Michael from back in the day. Young Michael, I guess. Mm. So would you say that for the most part, uh, because when Michael does go to see him at his elder age and he tells him that pretty much he's on the clock and as much as he tries to get him back to the past like is it was it more so for the audience to know that pretty much this one issue with him was going to be just very short because of the time being that he was going to die within a day it's interesting i guess we set that up just as um the end of his life where that was the latest possible chance michael could visit him Mm -hmm. um not so much about a time limit on what kind of stories we can tell before he dies tomorrow uh because as he goes back he gets de-aged and i think that's no longer a factor mm -hmm. we'll see that as we we come towards the present day as well got you now um jordan how would you describe um the the development of a character like michael because we, we do see him in issue two. And of course, he was one of, the, one of the main components in issue one. Would he be more so as an antagonist as we see him? Because basically he ripped Dale from uh, his peaceful, loving journey into the afterlife that he was about to go to in a day. Uh, but better yet than not, Michael was like, look, you're basically going to push me into the point where I'm going to be one of the greatest scientists that ever lived. So I kind of need your help. But in the meantime, I know you're going to die. It's, it's interesting. So I, I think one of the things we did when we wrote the one shot, and I think when we wrote these four issues is maybe we're never going to do anything else with it. So let's pack as much in story-wise as we can. So the one shot had, I think, five different villains um, at different points in his career that we visited with. And then with these issues, it was like, all right, let's get going. We, we include, we, we have time travel, ice villains, teen romance, um, time travel hijinks. We have all these things that are like, if we don't do anything else, let's just have fun with it. And with Michael, it was very much a case of we needed a character to like kickstart the action. And we see three Michaels because we have the, the one in the 60s that he knew was in the one shot. We have this elder Michael who shows up to uh, throw him back in time. And then with this issue, um, with these issues, we'll get a chance to meet a Michael in the middle. And whether he's a villain or not, that's to be seen. We, we I, I think the, the first issue gives a little bit of a menacing sense to him. But hopefully not outright villainous out of the gate. It's we're we're not even sure. You know, when we're creating it, we're like, where are things going to go? Um, we're kind of leaving it open, hopefully in interpretation, and we'll see where things go as we get further in with these issues. Mm. Yeah, we definitely put a seed in the first one shot where he was a little bit self-absorbed and not the greatest guy. 
But as we traveled back in issue one of Bullet Adventures, you can see there's a bit of potential for change in him. And I think that's where it plays out. How will meeting Dale from the future coming back and changing his path really affect Michael as he grows into an older gentleman again? Will he take the same path that that future Michael who was self-absorbed to the extreme? Uh, or will he turn a leaf and you know become the nicer guy that we see the potential for? Yeah, it seems like basically throughout like issue one of the comic and of, of course the, the surprising reveal in issue two, like we're looking at Michael as having more the more complex personality traits, the more evolution that we see within these two issues. I mean, as much as we like to think that issue one is about Dale and, and more so it is because of the, the family component. The, the evolution of Michael and what we see within the three point of views that you have of him throughout the story, would you say that basically he takes up a good portion of the story? Because is there a chance that there's a there's an art of tutelage that might happen later on with, uh, of course, our, our newest hero in issue two? That would be Elaine Choi. Yeah, well, Michael's been a factor throughout her life, for sure, um, mm -hmm. and definitely a part of the larger family in that way um dale not being around for that because he got sucked into the past michael definitely filled a role and we'll see how that plays out with his influence on laney gotcha yeah and when you're looking at time travel i think you know the, the the impulse is the big you know what if i killed hitler type of the big changes right but we we hope that that first issue sets things up we can do in the future where yeah there maybe are big consequences to him fighting the leopard gecko because that was a big thing he didn't do originally. But we also have that small character moment with Michael where he says something really nice and heartfelt that the him of that day and age in the 60s, you know, a young man in like the 90s probably wouldn't have the maturity to say, will that have an effect? Will that change? Is it a small thing that will cause a lot of ripples? Um, so we hope that the time travel can make for big bombastic changes and exciting adventures, but uh, I, I think at the heart, we want to make sure the characters shine through because otherwise it, you can get superhero action anywhere. We hope that the characters are what draw people in to want to keep reading our superhero book. Right. Because uh, from from how I looked at it, Michael is very cognizant of the fact that he understands how much time he has to play with. And he understands, of course, if he if he takes up too much time, that there is ripples. He you kind of concluding that when he's basically um, reintroducing himself to Dale when he comes from uh, comes from the future. Jordan, if you would say. Yeah, I think it's a matter of we we have we have an idea of what the timeline looked like and we have an idea of where it might branch off now that Michael interfered and sent Dale back to the past where he ends up after that first issue obviously we still haven't fully revealed um but yeah our, our goal is that we'll get a chance to examine the life that was versus the life that now is mm -hmm. so randy would you would you say that there that michael would more likely feel a sense of regret now that dale is not around uh it's interesting because in the present day Michael wouldn't be aware that his future self was the one who even sent Dale back. Mm, so okay. he's there as, uh, you know, he was probably close to Joanna. They were colleagues and stayed in touch over the years. And so seeing that Dale was now absent, 
fills a, a void that was in that family's life. Um, maybe that suggests that the changes that Dale uh, caused being back there and, you know, setting him on a, a nicer path really did have a lasting effect. And the Dale, or sorry, the Michael of 2006 ended up being a fairly nice guy. True. True. Now, uh, now, now that we've been introduced now with um, uh, skipping a generation to uh, Dale's granddaughter, uh, Elaine Choi, what what would you say is her personality traits given in this um driven through the 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 continuancy of this uh of this this series jordan um i would say with elaine it's very much a i want to almost say i don't want to say 90s because obviously 90s comics have a bad rap but that was my touch point was books like spider girl by tom defalco uh, Miss Marvel by G. Willow Wilson. It's the teen superhero, but a very lighthearted, fun, um, the balancing act, right? The thing people love about Peter Parker is mm -hmm. trying to be a high school student while also trying to be a superhero. The balance between all your relationships, having a secret identity, um, but also being, being kid, that next really. generation. Yeah, being a kid, but also being that next generation, having these past heroes that you look up to, which for her would be this grandfather she never had a chance to know. And trying to make it work, trying to to find a balance and uh, the same thing a lot of teen superheroes deal with. Terrified you're going to screw it up even when you are clearly doing good. And that's just being a teenager, right? You Even even if you are doing things right, you don't necessarily feel like you're doing, you know, anything that's happening uh, it, in your life. That's true. Now, would you say that um, her mother uh, is showcasing a little bit of resentment? towards either is it because of elaine's powers or is it just because of elaine or is it because of her father uh randy uh yeah i mean there's gonna be a conflict between any parent and child so like she's a teenager mm -hmm. uh but yeah definitely marie resents the fact that the superhero life took her father's youth from her i guess she also wouldn't really be aware of why he disappeared suddenly but you know you could logically conclude it must be because of that weird super stuff you're going through Mm -hmm. But uh, he was an old man all throughout her life uh, growing up. Couldn't really do anything like father-daughter. It was uh, an elderly man that raised her. Uh, so she definitely resents the super speed aspect of their family's life. And for uh, Elaine to, drip in, or to drop into that a little bit and follow in her grandfather's footsteps wouldn't go over well for sure. Right, right. Now, um, would that more so supersede exactly who she's trying to be is she trying to prove herself to her mother and or or even better yet her grandmother maybe not i mean i think that that mantle that she kind of resists following in the footsteps like she does it because it's the right thing to do but mm -hmm. she actively resists being called bullet or you know i'm i'm not my grandfather i can't possibly fill his shoes um yeah so i don't i don't know I, jordan i'll let you talk to that a little yeah. bit yeah well, I think, yeah, it's a mix of things that we we hope to explore. And I think if, if people give it a chance and see issue three, we dig in a little more on that relationship between mother-daughter. Um, and I think it's something that'll keep coming up if we move forward. But yeah, it's wanting to prove herself a little bit, but also wanting to do the right thing. But it's a different world. I, and I think as we as more of these issues come... You know, Dale saw a few weird things in his time as sort of like the impetus for all of these strange supervillains. And now that we're um, 40, 50 years later, 
or 60, it's, it's a long time skip, yeah. but 50 to 60 years later, things have expanded. There are a lot more weird creatures out there, villains. And so uh, this issue obviously has her reckoning with the ghost of the past in terms of a new diamond dust, which is one of the villains, the original bullet pot. Uh, but we're hoping, you know, we want to expand and see more villains, new uh, things that are unique to her and things that uh, will complicate the relationship she has both with her family history, uh, with her friends and with the idea of being a superhero. Now, Jordan, the first conflict that we saw between this Diamond Dust and, and, and Lainey, like it almost seemed like it was playful rather than someone that was trying to like kill her or anything like that. Like they basically like talked to each other at the end and was like, you know what? He was like, I got the, he was like, I got the one up on you. And she was like, no, 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 no. It's a tie. Yeah. We, again, we want to keep that playful spirit. We hope to have more character drama. And again, I think, you know, issue three has a little bit more of that, but the villains are hopefully going to come across as fun loving and a little different. Like we wanted Diamond Dust to kind of be, uh, whereas she's maybe unsure of the legacy, this new Diamond Dust is all about it. He's really into it. He's trying to recreate the past. He's trying to improve on this legacy. Um, so he's, he's, he's obviously dangerous. He's not above necessarily, you know, hurting people to get what he wants, but he's also very playful about it because uh, there, there's a certain level of like, I'm getting to do what very few other people do. That's be a supervillain and have these weird powers. And um, it's it's he doesn't take it as seriously as he should, which makes him dangerous and in a way different than if he was outright malicious. Mm, okay, so um, Randy, if you if you could say like it was that the component that you wanted to keep it like you would talk about how this is like more of the more of a silver age comic where it was very fun loving from issue to issue. So where you would get the, you would get these tales of them battling their villains. And yet it would be more of a dynamic to where it would be like, uh, I defeated you. See you tomorrow. Right. Yeah. There's a kind of that sitcom effect where things do reset to a certain point. Um, but obviously the characters build as we go on. Um, you know, we talk about the silver age a lot too, but invincible is also a great influence on this. I always kind of approached this main series as if Invincible wasn't all blood and guts because it ended up becoming quite a bit about that. Mm -hmm. This is what you'd have completely. It's it's fun, it's bright colors, the teen angle as well. And I think that's partly, you know, we're not seeing that villain murdering somebody or like, you know, punching a fist through a chest and blood everywhere. So we can kind of balance that, um, the similarities with what I wanted to take from the Invincible series, the early issues kind of thing and run with that. Uh, that way we don't have the gory, gritty stuff, but it's just all the fun stuff is left. Right. Yeah. Now, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add, yeah, I think that that's not to say we don't have, like, maybe more serious topics we might hit at some point, or or darker material, but never, I think, yeah, we're not going to be the, the, the fists through the stomach type of book, but, okay. you know, if we have death, we want it to be a, a a death that matters or has an impact. It's not just background chaos for the sake of it. Um, but yeah, out the gate, we want to establish that for the most part, we're a, we're a sunny, fun-loving book. But then if we get to those more dramatic moments, they hopefully hit harder because it's not the norm and it's something that is is going to throw the characters off the axis. Mm -hmm. Now, issue three, which is also being offered in this Kickstarter, is somewhat of a mystery. We know that there's going to be a new villain that's going to be introduced by the name of Cupid, but yet 
we're not too sure of the story going forth, although we do know that we we have the ability to read issue two all the way through. And we know that there's a cliffhanger involved. And then we get basically introduced to this new villain. And then we don't necessarily see issue three as much. Is there any clues or context that you could give into issue three that you may want to skirt around so that people will know what they're in for once they get issue three, Randy. I think mainly, I mean, our, our pillars of this book are the family dynamic and the superhero action and issue three really pushes both. So we'll see that. Uh, of course the villain is Cupid. And I mean, you can see from the designs that are posted on the Kickstarter page is just a wicked cool looking villain. Um, the all white tack gear and the dripping bleedy heart, bloody heart there. Uh, but basically, just some background to him, he's got this dart gun that will shoot like a chemical cocktail of love chemicals that uh, he makes people fall in love and he can go about his bank robberies or whatever else as he's doing. Yeah, it's just, it's more fun. It's more superhero stuff. We develop the characters further. It's it's great. I can't wait. Part of the reason why I'm doing both issues right now is because I'm just eager to get them into the world. I want people to read three. I don't want to breeze past two. So here's both. Got you. Got you. Now, Jordan, how did you manage to make a character so intimidating and yet have a weapon like a, chemi a chemical dissolvent that he basically makes people fall in love so he could go on about his dastardly deeds? Again, it's it's one of those things where we we wanted it to be playful, but also still have a lot of danger. Um, and again, we don't show it in the, but, but I, what I will say is if you're, if you're trying to get excited for issue three, and this is credit to our artist, Nico and to Randy for conceptualizing, it has, I think the single most exciting page in the whole run of issues we've done so far, um, mm -hmm. with a, with a real, an exciting full plate page splash, uh, really showing off things that only speedsters can do. Mm -hmm. Um, and it comes and directly. Also only comics can do in a way, right? Yeah. And only comics. And, uh, it's. Thanks to Q, the, the again, it's thanks exactly to the sort of stuff Cupid as a villain is capable of doing. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it all comes together to where issue three is a bit more of a dramatic issue because we have some a lot of character drama up front. But we hope that anytime we do action, we make it count. And again, I think Nico and the whole team killed it on making the, the big action scene of issue three count. Nice. Now, Randy, if you could uh, give a um, give us the actual the whole creative team, aside from yourselves, that basically made the, these books possible. Yeah, so we've had a bit of a, a change in art teams through the first few issues. The one shot was done by Kath Lobo. She wasn't able to continue uh, when we decided to go ahead with an ongoing series. So I discovered uh, Laura Kane on Twitter. And she did the first book and continued on with the covers for this first run. Um, she unfortunately had to drop out after the first issue too, but it was timely because starting with issue two, it's uh, the present day and uh, thematic switch. So Nico Carrizo came on board. Um, this is his first ever published work. The cover he did for issue one was the only thing that he's had published to date. And mm -hmm. he's ridiculously good. Like you've seen issue two, like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on a major Marvel or DC title right now. Like he's just mm -hmm. that good. Uh, Fran Citarelli, who came on board to color, perfect pairing with his work. Like it, it modernizes it with the two of them, uh, but still that classic kind of fun, colorful feel. 
And then, of course, Lucas has been lettering the whole thing, as well as uh, Jordan and myself being on the titles. So, yeah, it's, it's a great team. I'm, I'm really grateful. Jordan's been a pleasure to work with. The collaborative nature is just fun. Like, I remember those emails back and forth. I work all kind of weird hours around day job and kids and stuff. So it's usually like, you know, 1 a.m. I'm typing an email to him. Turns out he was up anyways. I'm sure we couldn't chat. I keep too. weird hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like these back and forths we'd have. And, you know, he'd pitch something and I'd springboard off of that. And it becomes this like really incredible idea. And this back and forth is the most fun thing you could possibly do in comics is the collaboration. And then rewarded by having the artwork come in and seeing what that looks like after the artists have visualized it. And it's just, it's incredible. Nice. Now, uh, Jordan, is it is it easy? It, would you say, because you've, you've now done it for a few times now, is it easier to co-write an issue like you've been doing? Yeah, I, I think it's been a really good process because as a collaborator, Randy is very willing to just like we, we come up with the idea and then he'll just let me script and you know we'll, we'll do an editing pass after that and go through and come up with things that oh maybe we want to hint at this or or change this but it's a it's a very easy process it was the first co-writing I ever did it's led to me I've, I'm co-writing other stuff for my other projects now on different uh in different ways but uh as a collaborator I just I mean that's the point of comics is collaboration Mm -hmm. um, so I do it with artists of like get out of their way and let them, you know, do their thing as much as possible. And as a writer, I think we both uh, have things we want to see happen. And, and, and we, we, you know, we've had we've never been so torn that we're like coming to blows. We've had disagreements, but we always work it out. We find a good compromise. And I think yeah. so far, I've always been happy with the final product. And I think doing things I might not have done on my own has made for more exciting issues and I'll, I'll say looking just a little more to the future issue four is a concept i probably never would have wanted to touch at all but randy was really excited about it and then in actually developing the villain and developing the story it became one of the issues i'm the most proud of so that's that's why comics is so exciting it can push you and it's really good i have to jump in there because jordan yeah. when he first sent me his draft and I, I guess maybe it was my initial seed. I don't know. I, I can't remember. It's like, it is pretty collaborative. But when he sent me the draft of his script, I I honestly, I, like, I'm not even joking. I stood up from my desk and I clapped myself. Like, <laughs> it was a flawless script. I didn't have any notes on that. It just, he executed it perfectly. The way the villain was handled, the character development, everything was just so good. And yeah, I, Jordan, you say, I let you do the script. And like, really, you're doing all the hard work. <laughs> like. I can come up with some ideas and yeah, I've got some things like I, I really want this scene or this beat, uh, but otherwise it's just Jordan's doing all the heavy lifting um, and the book's better for it. Cause obviously I couldn't possibly come up with all the stuff that he does. So it's, it's great. Nice. Now, aside from this, um, as an attachment onto the Kickstarter, when people are getting bullet in their hands for the first time, I believe there's other titles that you're uh, putting with this that are also altruist comics uh, properties. Yeah, so there's an add-on feature. You can pick up all the other books that I've done. Um, the Sensational Swan, the mature stuff like Crime Pays and Death in Comics. So you can pick up all the other things if uh, readers are new to my work, um, other things that I put out. You can catch up with those either digitally or um, with the extra books. Nice. Now, as as far as like the state of indie comics as, it's, as, it, as it comes to be within 2023 outside of the pandemic, what would you necessarily say, like in the past few years, how has indie comics basically 
hasn't been shaped in your eyes as far as like how it's been how it's been moving as a business. Uh, Jordan, if you could. Um, it's always tricky. Um, I got started really seriously uh, with my first Kickstarter myself was in 2015, late 2015. And even just in the past eight years, uh, things have changed so much, just like how prevalent Kickstarter is for indie books, what convention tabling looks like as, they, as it gets more expensive and more corporate owned in general. And then the way social media is making it harder than ever to actually promote your, your independent stuff. Um, it's tricky because I, I think fortunately, certain things are working to at least balance out. Like again, the fact that Kickstarter is so ubiquitous now, everyone, I mean, even just this week, I've seen like five, six creators whose work I love have a Kickstarter out. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, let's, let's look and see what's available. And it can make it difficult to stand out as a new creator but it also makes it so that people are able to find it on their own a bit more naturally when, you know, Twitter is going to suppress your link as much as you as algorithmically possible. Um, so it's, it's tricky and it's tricky to know, you know, I always, I always question like, I'm still pretty young in comics, but even the advice I would have given on how I got in just isn't as relevant anymore because of the way things change so quickly. Uh, but the, the fortunate thing is that Kickstarter is still doing well it's such a known entity at this point that people are independently finding these things. I think we get a good bit of discovery, um, but we're, we're also fortunate to have a lot of returning backers. So I, I think it's just a matter of, especially as cons start to become more common again and people feel more comfortable, it's, it's getting out there, it's getting your name out there, it's doing you know shows like this, which again, thank you for having us. And um, it's, it's, yeah, it's the hustle. And that's always what independent comics is. It's, it's hustling to, and having the passion to understand that you're doing comics because you want to do comics and not because you want to do film, because this is a terrible way to try to do uh, film or TV. This is true. Yeah, the hustle right. is interesting, though, because uh, this wasn't an opportunity before. Really, it was just uh, working the convention tables a few years back. But now you've got this entire platform where you can reach the world. Essentially, like my books have gone to almost every continent. Like, it's just a pretty amazing thing that Otherwise, I would have been isolated to my local shows, you know. No, no, I, I totally get that. Is I feel like it's grown like exponentially over the past few years. Now there's not only just the crowdfunding that you see from Kickstarter, but other crowdfunding sites have now been more prolific in entering the 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 universe as far as like the zoops of the world and the crowd funder with the dr at the end they they've now started doing uh comic books as well i mean i think people have started to see that you know comics within kickstarter was like a 30 million dollar business model for like almost the past three years and then everybody just looked at it, it was like i would like to make some of that money service fees or whatever the hell it is and then try to jump into the mix too yeah, and there's growing pains, I think. But I, I've seen successful campaigns, again, from known creators who've done crowdfunding, who've done Zoop. And yeah, they still need to grow. But I also think there's that certain level where something like Kickstarter stagnates a little bit because it is the biggest dog in the yard and it maybe doesn't want to innovate. But um, I haven't seen if they've, I don't think they've launched yet, but I know Backerkit is doing their own thing and yeah. has offered things Kickstarter wouldn't for years. So I mean, it might change some more, but I, I also think Kickstarter is probably going to be the, it's the public conscious one. It's always going to exist to some degree. 
Um, but it's exciting seeing all these opportunities and hopeful options for new communities. I mean, I think Zoop creators who who find a way to build an audience there are going to connect and you're going to get new um, creative groups that form out of that stuff. And so it's it's always exciting and it's fortunately still a way for people to do stuff independently when uh, IPs get gobbled up so fast by corporations that, that hopefully the little guy is, is able to keep making their own thing for a while. Yeah. Uh, Randy, now, would you say because of how how vast and how worldly indie comics is, is it difficult to be unique now in the market? Huh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I guess my, I've got kind of a small view on things. I know a few people in the indie crowds, but I never really looked at it like I, I'm doing my own thing. I don't know if it's unique or not. I know there doesn't seem to be a lot of successful superhero books on Kickstarter. You know, indie comics seems to avoid that because it's more of a big two thing, maybe. So yeah. hopefully we're doing something unique with it. Um, I haven't given that much thought. Yeah, no, I, I feel that you are. If, you, if you're basically uh, bringing forth the, the return of a Silver Age type comic with a lot of personality traits from that era, and yet you're doing a speedster in the same fold, you know, it can only be seen as being very unique in this vast world of a lot of characters that are being put out there. Yeah, I think overall we're, we're focused on quality. Um, I hope we're not retreading anything, but I can tell you we're doing a really good job of what we are doing, whether it's that unique or not. It's it's a book that stands on the shelves. If you put it next to anything Marvel DC does, like I honestly, I'm taking myself out of this when I say it it stands up to all that stuff. Like it's just a really high quality book. I just work with really good people. Oh no, for sure. For sure. Now, as far as the Kickstarter, you are now at day one, which means you probably more than likely either 30, I think 30 days left in this Kickstarter for those people that want to see your prior work, whether it's issue one of bullet or any other titles that are basically through altruist comics, where can they find it? Yeah. So right now, I mean, if you want to back the, the current project it's got all those available through add-on uh altruistcomics.com yeah, i've got a shop there so we can always pick things up through, through that or local shows or whatever that i do but uh these these are the best because you can get uh, a package of a whole bunch of books for a little bit of savings and you know save on shipping as well and you get something cool you're the first one to read these new bullet adventures comics you can say you got another ground floor because uh i hope there's big things in store it's it's a great set of characters it's a high quality book that i think when people start discovering it they're really going to go nuts over it nice now jordan what do you what do you expect for readers to uh, aside from myself what would you expect for readers to see within issues two and two and three that they will they will hope to enjoy um i think the biggest draws are you know it's weird to say about a second issue but it is a it is a great jumping on point in terms of, of the time jump forward and introducing a new character it has, you know, fun action, um, plot twists. I, I think we we hit pretty fast and hard with in terms of like our cliffhanger ending. Um, and again, just just gorgeous art realized by a team that really is bringing their art. I mean, again, right down to the le lettering, like like Randy said, the team really is bringing it. And um, we've had some growing pains, but it's fortunately worked out so that. We, we we think two and three is a great starting point for our new creative team that's that's fully in place and you know if it's successful we want to keep doing it and and get more fun light-hearted action into people's hands um you know going off what randy said earlier it's 
it is hard to, to be unique if you're thinking about it, but I, I think we've never been like, oh, what's the trend we should chase? It's just been Randy very genuinely wanted to make this superhero book. Um, I've always wanted to work on a book like that. So we, we really linked up in that sense. And, and we feel like the work stands on its own and will hope as has hopefully continued to found, uh, find an audience. Excellent. Uh, first off, thank you too for, for basically showcasing this book. And I appreciate you guys doing this with me. Um, I, I look forward, of course, being, being someone who backed, uh, issue one, two, and now, uh, now with three, um, I, I hope to see more of this title going forth. You guys have done a fabulous job. So I, I appreciate y'all for being on with me. Well, pleasure's all ours, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we, I, we gotta have more just to we, we gotta we gotta get Nico to do more issues before Marvel or DC snaps them up. So hopefully <laughs> <laughs> look, the guy's incredible. So please like let him know, like just from somebody seeing on the outside looking in, like, hey man, you might want to speed up the process. <laughs> 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 All right. So uh look for for Grandmaster Facts, uh James Grandmaster Facts voice, uh Randy Stone, Jordan Alsaker, uh, thank you guys for joining me and for the Facts Project, we are out.